Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. Do you see any koala bears? I wish. <laughs> Should we tell people where we are? Yeah, so we are at the Mount Sutro Open Space Reserve, which is basically like got to be pretty close to the geographic center of San Francisco, would you imagine, right? I think that's fair. And we are surrounded by a ton of what look to be ancient eucalyptus trees. If you're not familiar with eucalyptus trees, they're very tall. I mean, how tall would you say those are? We've seen some today over 100 feet for sure. Definitely. And they have sort of this weird bark where the under part of the tree is like really smooth, but their bark sort of on the outside flakes off. It's, it's deciduous, but it leaves this tan, almost naked looking trunk behind. And these would not be good climbing trees. Yeah, most of the branches like, what's the lowest branch on that one? It's like 30 feet up. Yeah. How are you going to climb that? Yeah. One thing I, I think a lot of people remark about eucalyptus trees is the smell. Some people hate it, but a couple people I talked to for this story, they say these trees just smell like California. Which is pretty weird for a tree from Australia. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious, where we answer your questions about the Bay Area. On this episode, science writer Daniel Potter and I take a closer look at eucalyptus trees. They have lovers and haters. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast. With an S. Thanks. All right, let's get to this week's question, shall we? Or should I say questions? Because we heard from two different listeners on this one. How did all of this eucalyptus get to the Bay Area? That's Christian Wagner. He lives in Pleasanton, works in tech, and likes hiking. As does Julie Bergen, an occupational therapist from Alameda. I know that they're invasive. So what do we do about that? You know, are they worth keeping around or, or do, we de- do we need to get rid of them and replace them with something else? Christian and Julie both wonder about eucalyptus's past and its future here. Some people argue the trees are bad for native plant life and a fire hazard and they need to go. So science writer Daniel Potter. Howdy. Where do we begin unraveling this one? In a forest. Did you use this podcast as an excuse to stomp around eucalyptus groves all over the Bay Area? Did I ever? 
Let's start with one on Albany Hill in the East Bay. You can see it from I-80 near the racetrack. That's where I talked to this guy. My name is Jared Farmer. I'm a professor of history at Stony Brook University and the author of Trees in Paradise, a California history. That book includes a solid hundred pages on eucalyptus trees in California, so I asked Farmer how they got here. They came here as envelopes of seeds on boats in the 1850s. He says the gold rush drew people from all over, including from Australia. In South Australia I was born. In a way, all the way. And they were coming to a place where wood was in short supply. What we think of today as, I say, native California, indigenous California or pre-contact California, was far more you know, woody than wooded. Actually, it was far more land that was, say, chaparral and savanna and wetland and marshland than timberland. People settling here wanted to plant trees. If you're used to trees, the California landscape might feel incomplete without them. And then there were the practical concerns, since Californians were quickly downing what trees were here. This was, of course, just the era of, you know, wood power. I mean, wood was used for almost everything. For energy, of course, but also for just for building every city, for moving things around. Just all the things today we use, concrete and plastic and steel. So by the 1850s, you could buy young eucalyptus in nurseries in San Francisco. It was grown here from seed, which meant it didn't bring along any of the usual bugs or pathogens it faces back home. No koala bears either. (sighs) Sigh. Alas. But the lack of pests made it easy for these trees to grow really tall, really fast. I would say, you know, in in an average rainfall year here in California, uh, these trees probably put on four to six feet in height. This is Joe McBride, Professor Emeritus of Landscape Architecture and Environmental Planning at UC Berkeley. I met him in a towering stand of ancient eucalyptus on campus. These trees are now over 200 feet tall, and the largest ones are approaching uh, six uh, feet in diameter. Near the present-day Life Sciences Building, there used to be a cinder running track. Picture fine ash and gravel. 140 years ago, at a fabled track meet with Stanford. On your mark. Supposedly the wind was so bad it blew cinder in everyone's faces. And the Stanford coach took his team home. Track meet over. As a result of that, the campus planted this grove of eucalyptus trees as a windbreak Uh, to prevent the wind from blowing the cinders into other athletes' eyes in the future. This is the the largest, densest stand of bluegum eucalyptus in the world. Tell us what that is, bluegum eucalyptus. So the genus eucalyptus includes hundreds of species, some more like shrubs than giant trees. A lot were tried out here, but the main one today is Tasmanian bluegum, Eucalyptus globulus. Side note, apparently even botanists can't always tell what species they're looking at without climbing way up to check out the fruit. Or blasting some down with a shotgun, I'm told. All right, so over the next few decades, eucalyptus trees in California were loved, then hated, then loved again. What changed? If you go back to the California farm journals of the 1870s, 80s, 90s, there's, there's just report after report of disappointment, like these trees are no good. That's Jared Farmer, the historian again. 
It turns out while our bluegum gets tall real fast, it's not ideal for woodworking. It splits and cracks and doesn't hold up if you're making railroad ties. It also sucks up a lot of water, which is handy if you're trying to drain swampland, but less handy if your well is nearby. People were kind of over it. Until... At the turn of the, the 20th century, uh, we were faced with a, a, a crisis in terms of uh, hardwood forests that had pretty much been cut over in the eastern United States. In 1907, the U.S. Forest Service predicted a looming hardwood famine. People thought there was only about a 15-year supply before we ran out of usable forest. That gave eucalyptus boosters an idea. Plant now, and fast-growing bluegums could be big enough to harvest once the famine hits. Here in the Bay Area, for $100, you could buy an acre of land, planting those trees on 6 by 6 spacing, about 1,200 trees per acre. Uh, and so they sold lots of these on a speculative basis. This became a frenzy, a bubble. Companies suckered investors with claims like, forests grown while you wait, absolute security and absolute certainty. Within a few years, thousands of acres were bought up and planted with eucalyptus, from Southern California up to Mendocino. Wait, didn't we just say that bluegum was terrible for woodworking? Why was everyone still planting it? In his book, Farmer gives a few reasons. Bluegum was familiar, seeds were everywhere, it could grow in lousy soil, plus a blend of historical ignorance and artful deception. In part because I, the, these people were not reading farm reports from the 1870s and 1880s. And even if they did read them, maybe they wouldn't care because they just wanted to make a buck. They were just flipping land. Fears of a hardwood famine ultimately proved overblown. Concrete and steel became cheaper, forests further east recovered, and people started making furniture from imported wood like mahogany instead. California's eucalyptus trees weren't even worth cutting down, so there they stand. They're like century-old abandoned crops. Farmer describes their presence here as a beautiful mistake. That brings us to the second half of this week's question from Julie and Christian. I know that they're invasive, so what do we do about that? To what extent is it sort of here to stay? I took this question to Jin Yost, a botanist at Cal Poly. While some people see California's eucalyptus trees as a heinous invasive species and want them gone, Yost was careful to delineate between non-native, which these trees definitely are, and invasive. Just because something reproduces a little bit, sometimes it doesn't do it enough where it has an ecological impact. And as soon as it starts out-competing native species or fundamentally changing the environment so that native species can't grow there, we would consider that an invasive species. While many kinds of eucalyptus have been tried out in California, only two are good enough at reproducing here to be considered invasive, the red gum and the blue gum. And those don't seem able to reproduce just anywhere. In some drier parts of the state, the old plantations are not spreading. You see um, bluegums being weedy and really reproducing on their own in areas that have summer moisture, and that's usually in the form of fog, or you see them being weedy in places with year-round water like irrigation ditches or places with seeps. Bluegum is classified as a moderate invasive. Compared to other, faster-moving weeds, it's not California's most wanted ravaging the countryside. Yost attributes a lot of the current resentment to the historic 1991 fire in the East Bay Hills, where tons of eucalyptus burned. People at the time, I don't think, associated that with a, a planted plantation. It was just 
a eucalyptus forest. And then when the fire came through, I mean, that fire came through so fast and so hot and so many people lost their homes that uh, it was a natural reaction to hate blue gums at that point. The East Bay Hills fire was hugely devastating. 25 people died and thousands were left homeless. So many experts say these trees worsen the fire threat. Other folks argue different plants in their place would also burn. Both say the science is on their side, but so far no landmark study has shut down the dispute. This is an entrenched debate. A few years ago, there was federal fire prevention funding to cut down trees in those same hills, and people protested until it was rescinded. Folks got naked and hugged the bluegums on campus at Berkeley. Fans also argue the trees provide habitat for monarch butterflies and birds of prey. But suppose, hypothetically, we as a state decided eucalyptus is terrible. We have to wage war and get rid of all of it. What would that entail? Yost estimates there's something like 40,000 acres of unharvested crops in the state. It's not hard to extrapolate upwards of 10 million trees statewide. Cutting each one down takes time and money. So really, the question of whether eucalyptus is going away comes down to whose backyard it's in. That and climate change. Some of those old stands that are outside the coastal fog belt and can't reproduce on their own, probably not going to last forever. All right, so what did our question askers think, Christian and Julie? It sounds like they've both decided to make the most of these trees while they're here. That's absolutely fascinating. I did not know that the eucalyptus had such that the history was even that rich. I have to say, I love the idea that a lot of what we see was a get-rich-quick scheme, because that is just a theme that happens so often in America and in California. I do feel a sense of relief that eucalyptus isn't quite the invasive, nasty species that maybe I've been led to believe. I actually really have to say I like the idea of it being a beautiful mistake that feels that feels really right to me. Science writer Daniel Potter, thanks for stomping around so many forests for us this week. Happy to do it. The results are in for our January voting round. And the winning question is, do Lyft and Uber really increase street congestion? Stay tuned for that story and head to our website to cast your ballot in February's voting round. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too 
at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.